Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, we've been having these discussions about perseverance for about a month or so now. And obviously in each episode, we attacked it from a different way and talked about the need to push through problems. And one of the commenters that, that sent us an email here gave me a question that made me think about it from a different way. And my mind's I, w- I want to start my bias here before I answer or tell them the question. So my bias in my mindset is that it's a duty. I never growing up, I never thought that of this as a faith, but my duty as a guy essentially is to make myself better so that I can provide for my inevitable family. That was the mindset I had coming up through life. And the question we essentially were given to us was how can pushing ourselves to become better and ultimately successful and in American society, ultimately wealthy, or at least commonly, that's how that ends up. How is that not contrary to Jesus's message, which commonly refers to taking care of the poor taking care of of the meek and the eye of uh, the the wood through the eye of of the needle I'm saying that that parable incorrectly that it's easier for um for to, to I, I gotta say this correctly because I'm the words are in my head and I can't say it correct it, it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than it is for um walking through Father, you know what I'm trying to say. And it, the, 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 his pl- Camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Thank you. Um, I don't know why those words did not want to come out of my face in the right order there. So, so that's essentially the, the, the dynamic, the tension here that came from, from this, this email that we received. So on the one hand, if we are called to be better and to improve ourselves, to be able to help ourselves in society, because that's essentially what I said in, in the episode was, our duty to become better in society, we need to have resources, which means we have to eventually become better and typically have influence or wealth or something of that nature. But that seems contrary to Jesus's message of blessed are the meek. You need to focus on the poor and, and, and humility. And, and that's the tension that um, I'm trying to articulate poorly. And again, I apologize for that, <laughs> but uh, that's the tension we're trying to, to articulate here that this email or brought to uh, brought to my attention here earlier in the week. Yeah, well, it's a really beautiful area of our Christian faith to think about these these things and uh, it's something I've thought about a lot and I'm uh as I've said on many other episodes, I'm uh aware of my own limitations in expressing it because I know some people who are really have lived in this space of what, what we would really call Catholic social teaching, ultimately, where we're talking about the temporal goods. And I think it's nice to express it that way, temporal goods. It's the goods that only last for a time. Uh, those, you don't take it, you know, there's no uh, U-Haul after a hearse is sometimes what they say. You don't take it with you. It's uh, the goods that last for this life. And, uh, what is the place, what is the relationship of those with, uh, with virtue and uh, the following of Christ, union with Christ, holiness? How do those things go together? On the one hand, 
does everybody need to be St. Francis and live without any temporal goods? Is that a kind of ideal that everyone should strive for and people just fall short of it? Or is that not an ideal for everyone? Uh, what is the place for the person who has a lot of goods? Is he supposed to sell it all and uh, just live as a, as a poor man on the streets? Uh, you know, how do you navigate that, that space in our Christian teaching? And then I want to say also, in giving a response to that, we have to be careful uh, not to just rationalize our, our own interests. Well, I have a lot of money, so I want you to explain to me, Father, why it's okay for me to have a lot of money. Well, maybe it's not okay for you to have a lot of money. You know, we, we need to seriously address that. And we have some great examples. As St. Francis was himself a part of a, an emerging middle class at that time in the Middle Ages. His father was a, a, a wealthy businessman who had made it out of the, the lower classes by his own, the sweat of his own brow. He was uh, outstanding in what he did. St. Francis had uh, a, a fair amount of capital to work with. Uh, for him, it was God's call to give up everything. And so we we might see these as uh, as options on the one hand, and everyone should be open to that. Uh, you have a lot of money. Maybe God is asking you to get rid of everything. Are you even open to that? And that's what we, uh, I like the, the image of attachments as hooks. Uh, so there are sometimes ways that our soul is sort of hooked to the world. But if you don't ever stretch, if you don't ever strive for heaven, if you don't ever push against that, you don't ever realize that you're actually tied down. You're actually chained. You know, you could have a, a chain around your leg, but if you don't try to go anywhere, you don't realize you have a chain around your leg. And so I think it's a useful spiritual exercise for everyone to, to see, like, maybe I should give up everything. Maybe I should sell everything and give to the poor and come and follow Christ. Again, just as a thought experiment, just as a spiritual exercise, and see how much that tugs. What am I really attached to? What would I be afraid to lose? What would I... Uh, what would hurt the most if, if I did that? It's good to just take note of that because that can be God's will. Again, everybody ultimately will be doing that. When you die, you will lose everything. You will have, take nothing with you from what you had in this life. And so that day is coming for all of us. Uh, now, I said that as a spiritual exercise to come back to this question of, well, is that what everybody is supposed to do? It's just that not everybody's strong enough for it. It's a little bit like the question of celibacy, you know, is, is celibacy the better way to go and just some people are too weak and have to get married? No, that's not the church's teaching. Celibacy is an option and marriage is an option. How do I know which of those two goods to choose? Well, that's my personal vocation. I need to discern that. And the more that my life is conformed to the, the life of Christ and the mind of Christ, then the more I'll be able to discern what way God is calling me in my personal vocation. So uh, we, we don't absolutize celibacy, like we don't absolutize poverty, and, but they are values. And so likewise, even in marriage, you know, a, a tradition at different times was that married couples refrain from sexual relations during the, the month or during the season of Lent, uh, as an example. And, and many times that happens for, for longer periods of time in a marriage for various reasons. And the capacity to embrace that is again, a sign of our interior freedom. So uh, 
somebody uh, who is who is marriage may spend some time as a celibate. So, so somebody who is uh, ha, who is rich may spend some time in poverty. Uh, the the opposite doesn't exist. A celibate person doesn't spend some time in uh, in sexual relations. So it's a it's a it's a one way movement mm. in uh, in the other direction. But to know what what some of the options are is really important, and then to kind of test our hearts it helps us to see where there might be some attachment and we can grow an interior freedom. Now, the goal for becoming detached isn't just to uh, detonate these things and destroy them. So I'm not advocating advocating impulsive actions that uh, some people might be inclined to just sell everything all of a sudden. And uh, that's, that's not good either. It's, it's not a, it's not a something that we need to just impulsively pursue. So now, now back again to, well, what is the role of temporal goods? And this is where the, uh, the, the church's social teaching, again, is very beautiful. God's design is that everybody has what they need. And food, clothing, shelter, uh, work as a fundamental human good, uh, community, uh, friendship, uh, you know, so some of these we might say spiritual temporal goods, as well as concrete material goods, uh, that everybody has what they need. Now, how are they supposed to get it? Well, God sends a care package from heaven that drops onto your doorstep every third Tuesday. No, obviously not. How does he get it to us? He has created enough for everyone. How does it, how does it get to us? Well, part of how he does that is by building community and supporting each other. Uh, one obvious way is family. How does your son get the temporal goods that he needs through you and your wife and you provide for him? Uh, so family provides, that's one pathway by which we get the temporal goods that we need. Uh, government is another pathway by which we get the temporal goods we need. There are civil authorities who are able to, uh, who are able to provide and there's some authority. And again, there isn't one single form of government and but there are people who are entrusted with civil power who are able to make some of those decisions that affect what we call the common good. So uh, that's also a pathway. And then uh, there are other relationships through capital and work that is another pathway. So if you have a lot, you can end up giving that. And that could be through charity, uh, just giving it. Or that could be through work, uh, a, a barter system with a contract of exchange of goods. You give me your labor and I give you uh, capital and we uh, work out some just arrangement for that. So uh, now I, I think all of this is kind of normal. Uh, I don't mm -hmm. think I would say anything that was shocking for anybody <laughs> thus far, but just to think about it in a different way. What we call this is the universal distribution of goods. God has enough for everyone, and he desires everyone to have what they need. And that's apart from ability. That's, uh, we're talking about basic human needs. And so whether you're able to work or whether you're you know, special needs or ha have disabilities or uh, are, are inhibited in various ways because you're two years old or uh, because you're in a, in a wheelchair and can't do some of the other things, it's still God's desire that everybody has what they need. And that's the mode in the Acts of the Apostles. The apostolic community was uh, the, the church in miniature, and each they, they gave to each according to their need. They set all of their goods at the feet of the apostles, which was its own interesting structure. 
And then they distributed according to need through that apostolic community. So each one worked as much as he could. Each one gathered as much material goods as he could, but not for his own sake or building his own kingdom, but then to participate in that universal distribution of goods to provide to each according to their need. Now, to take one more step, and then I'm done and I'll hand it back to you. Uh, so let's just take a snapshot of this moment in time. Somebody has a business. Um, they have 10 employees. They have a good year. They make a lot of capital. The business owner lands, uh, gets a lot of that capital. And what should he do? Uh, so the, the church's social teaching says, you know, all things being equal, there, there are reasons to make multiple decisions, but all things being equal, if they have a better year and he has more capital, then he should hire more people. <laughs> and again, the mentality is how can I spread God's goods? They're not mine. I'm a steward of God's goods that have landed more in my lap. And in part, that's because I, he also gave me more talent to work with. And so I have more of the stuff and I, I can apply that. I can work more effectively. I can make good decisions. I do all of those things. So I end up with more a larger share. Then I should look for ways to be the distribution network that God wants me to be. Hiring more people if the goods really are the company's goods. Uh, and then also looking for ways of charity, supporting people in family, uh, just reaching out to my neighbors, paying attention in my community. But I should have a burden if I have a lot of temporal goods on how can I distribute these according to the will of God? God desires everyone to have what they need. How do I play my role in that process? And even to the point of giving everything away, if God calls me to do that, as St. Francis did, and he sold the, uh, the goods of his, you know, well, he, that he sort of jointly owned with his father, I suppose, as part of the business, but he sold things off and he gave to the poor. He started that distribution network at that moment in time. And that was really a response to God's extraordinary call. And it led to a chain reaction of a lot of things that he couldn't have anticipated and didn't strategize. But, uh, you know, the, the answer, the question has to be, and we need to ask this question regularly enough, how do you want me to manage your goods, Lord? And I have to, I'm, I'm willing to be totally poor. I'm willing to give everything, but how do you want me to manage your goods? And the normal answer for yourself, for example, as a married man is, I want you to distribute my goods to your family, to your employees, to those people you work with, and also in charity and to the poor and, and, you know, through taxes to the, you know, rightfully ex, uh, exacted taxes to the government. That's how I want you to distribute my goods. And then that's always going to be a little bit of a balancing act, what percentage goes where, but mm -hmm. that's the the basic process of how we're handling temporal goods. Yeah. So, um, so it's good to know that, that, that before you even taught me stuff that I actually did some things correctly. Cause when I read that email, I went through that thought process that you outlined there as the thought experiment and, you know, to give people the answers, you people have been listening to me long enough. You probably know what, what I'm going to say anyway. Um, you know, my, my first thought with it was, you know, I, I made a promise, an obligation before even the vows of marriage that that I would take care of, of Teresa. And, and my first thought was in this society, we still need to have, you know, gas, electric and, and make sure that we still have a house. So, you know, obviously that kind of thing needs to be taken care of. But it went through that process. And, and ultimately, when I got to the 
the why to do this or why not to do this. It came back to, to I think, your favorite word on Father and Joe, the, the relationships I've created. A- and as you were, were going through that, I mean, the first part I took you know, very personal. And the second part, um, obviously still personal, but it was about the business. And the way that that I took that answer, contrasting hiring more employees versus selling everything off, I, I look at it like this as, as, as there's a time for both. Um, it's it's not an, an either or. It, it, it can be a combination of all the above. Because effectively, what hiring more people is, is expanding your business. Um, because there's not many people who are successful and good at creating businesses. It also is something that is very taxing and draining on the individual that you really can't do forever. So there will be a time where it's to give it to someone else. Um, but my thought process about why I think it's essential to to grow the business, especially in an ethical and virtuous way, is that, and, and this is the question I have because I'm about to, to say something I feel might be one of the deadly sins. Um, I feel that that I need to have control of it because I don't trust anyone. Uh, I don't trust the government to do it as well as I could. I, I guess at the end of the day is how I'm saying that. So I know that if if I'm hiring someone, I can be selective about who I'm hiring, why. Do I believe they actually will keep their word um, and therefore be able to help this whole thing grow? Because, yes, I will make profits in it because I potentially could lose in it and an employee doesn't have that risk. That's why it's structured the way it is. But at the end of the day, I need to have someone who's going to keep their word or else it's not just my paycheck that gets hurt. Potentially, everyone's goes away. And that's where at the end of the day, I feel I need to have at least one hand on the wheel and control of that. But as I'm saying that out loud and thinking through that process, it really sounds like pride. I mean, at the end of the day, and that being being one of the deadly sins of what we're supposed to avoid here. So um, I think I just stepped into a different puddle of tension that I didn't know that I was going to, as I'm kind of going through these thought experiments, which again, I appreciate the, the, the email to bring this up, but I want to walk into that part of it because uh, I trust myself. I, I know my process. I know how my relationship is with God and my employees. I don't entrust. I definitely do not trust a random auditor or arbitrator coming from Harrisburg or DC to tell me what to do um, because they're not, they're not involved in my business that they, they don't know what I do. And then they don't, there's no way they could, they're, they're not involved in it. like, like, it's like the same as an outside person commenting on my marriage. They're not here. They, they, they don't know what it is. So how can you try to put roles of what we should do? Even if it's something as stupid as Tuesday has to be taco day. Well, no, like I get to pick that like, like that. That's not your choice. And that's the tension puddle I, I've gotten to that, that I'd like to discuss, that, that it feels that pride is looming. And that might not even be the right word, and I might be making something out of nothing here. No, I think that's a, a, a situation where ultimately we want to both and uh, that you are. So it's the principle, the Catholic, the Catholic social teaching is built on several principles. One is the the, the primary one is the, the infinite dignity of every human person. And so we have to hold that always in the center, the infinite dignity of every human person. We can never, we can never sacrifice a person to build, to build capital. We can't make a centrality of capital or even the dignity of my person over the dignity of some other person. 
So we really have to hold that tension. And that that directs a lot of our decisions. Is it is at least something that we always have to to factor in and it becomes a firm anchor that keeps us from going too far astray in one director direction or another. Uh, another principle is the universal distribution of goods, which I mentioned uh, a moment ago. Another principle is solidarity. We're all in this together. And uh, we can't just, we don't want to become tribal in a, in a bad sense. I mean, we do have associations and groups and we have particular spheres of influence and particular you know, groups of responsibility. And that's not bad in itself, but we never want to make an absolute animosity to, to build up a, a, a chasm between two groups. We want to be in it for solidarity and we want to look for expanding solidarity that I care about everyone. I, if, if every person has infinite dignity, then I need to care about people in China as well as people in India, as well as people in the United States. Now, again, I have a particular responsibility to things that are more local, and that's what we call the principle of subsidiarity. The decision should be always made by the most local element as much as possible. We don't want the government, the national government, to make a decision for your business. Again, there are extraordinary circumstances where there might be some need for intervention. The, the national government that breaks up monopolies and things like that is just one example. Uh, and there are obviously laws that we have to follow. The one with the highest level of vision can establish laws that help to provide harmony in the elements beneath. Uh, but the best decision maker will be the one closest to the action. And so nobody is going to care for the people in the streets of Pittsburgh as well as you are, somebody who is actually interacting in various ways with people on the streets of Pittsburgh. So that's where we want to concentrate power as much as possible. That's the principle of subsidiarity. But is there something from outside of you that can be helpful? You know, and, and that's where somebody who has a little broader vision of things uh, may be able to influence you in a, in a useful way. Uh, maybe you like to build up the people on the streets of Pittsburgh as part of your charity exercise or your employment practice. Um, but there's actually a great need because there's a, I don't know, a refugees from Ukraine or something that are coming into Ohio and there's a real need and you wouldn't have known about it unless somebody drew your attention to it. And in fact, if we all chip in, it'll it'll satisfy this immediate need in a, in a useful way. And then we can get back to our local, whatever. I'm just making up an example. But the point is uh, there, there should be always a give and take, uh, neither just becoming a, a sort of self-sufficient sphere in one, you know, in one's area, uh, on the other hand, not being controlled by three layers up uh, that are going to intervene and do bad things. Or uh, So just to one more comment on that. Uh, that idea with taxes also, you know, it would be better for you to give, to, to be that distribution network that you can be given the amount of capital that you have with your conscience for Christian reasons than to have that imposed on you. On the other hand, if you didn't have a Christian conscience and you hoarded your capital uh, and that became problematic, then it would be better for someone who has more power to be able to intervene and, and push that in some way. And so that's where we have that tension between, uh, and, and that's where I think the tax credit system in the United States, I don't know it in detail, like I'm sure you do, but I think that's kind of the effort there. Like if you're doing it on your own, you get credit for that. And we stand back and say, good, you're going to be able to apply those funds in a better way than we are. If you're not doing it, then we're going to take it because 
it's better for you and it's better for the common good that 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 would be uh what happens mm-hmm. um well, we don't have time to get into the whole tax code portion about my thoughts on that. <laughs> but um but but there's one one thought and I don't know if I brought it up on on Father and Joe or not. Um but it, it goes back to the the dignity of work that that we've discussed earlier and, and this conversation is applicable to it. Um in studies where individuals report their level of happiness, um you know, self-reported things. So you get a scale of 1 to 10, how happy are you? The number one indicator that indicates where people self-select their happiness level isn't how much money they make. It isn't how much, you know, where they live or anything like that. It's do they work more than 20 hours a week or have they done that prior in their lives? Um, It is the largest indicator in this country. And paradoxically, or maybe we not paradoxically, the two groups that are the least happy are those that are capable of working and choosing not to, which normally is on the very low end of our economic spectrum, and also those whose grandfathers or parents had massive amount of wealth um, and just gave it to them, and they never really had to do anything with it. So. The, obviously, there's there 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 that's on both far ends of the extreme um, of being um, you you where how much money you have in the bank, but it comes down to to wanting to apply yourself and work, um, and sometimes that's working in a business, sometimes that's working in your personal vocation of of being a spouse or, or a caregiver, whatever it would be. But there's a skill set and a mindset that comes with doing something for other people and bearing that responsibility. And um, I just wanted to leave that as, as one final comment as, as we enter into the week and, and call for the necessity of giving other people that opportunity to, to, to hire more people and, and to expand even in the face of something which, you know, is scary. You know, it, it's scary to, to give someone money in hopes that they will do what they say they will. And um you know, people, some people have bigger trust issues than others, but at the end of the day, it, it, there's a risk there and it's, it's something that's fear. Um, and that's part of everyday life. Unfortunately, either we're going to risk it to move forward and grow our businesses and grow society or we're not. But with that being said, father, I definitely thank you for uh, today's episode and we will uh, be with everyone again here next week.